Welcome to the Everything Early Childhood podcast designed for approved providers, nominated supervisors, and other childcare business leaders. This fun, lighthearted, and very serious podcast features weekly episodes on strategy, advice, and conversations with fascinating and inspiring people from across our sector. Join the journey and have access to the tools and inspiration you need to create high-performing childcare businesses. Let's get started. Hello there, friends, and welcome to the Everything Early Childhood Podcast. My name is Lisa Brown, and I am your host. Today, we have an amazing guest for you. We have Holly Ann Martin. She's the founder and managing director of Safe for Kids. So we're really excited. Um, We've had her on our network group meetings before, and we're really excited to pick her brains about everything child abuse prevention, um, education. So welcome, Holly. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I'm thrilled. Awesome. So where should we start? Do you want to let everyone know a little bit about you, um, why this topic is so important to you? Well, um, I started my company back in 2007 and I've um, been teaching the program for over 35 years, abuse prevention education. And so I went into some remote communities and just saw a huge need for resources. So I quit my job as a teacher assistant and have been doing it full time ever since. And the reason it's so important is up to one third of children will suffer some form of sexual abuse before their 18th birthday. Now, for your listeners, that's the whole spectrum. So that could be an old man flashing kids at a bus stop to kids seeing pornography right to the most heinous acts. But no matter what the act is, it changes the child from that day. And, you know, for the early years, it's really important that people understand that we need to start this education by three at the latest. Wow. And I believe incredible. That's insane. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, and to be honest, I believe that um, all Australian children were sexually abused because of pornography. If kids see it, it, you know, it, it changes them from that day. And so you know, nobody wants to think about six-year-old talking to six-year-olds about pornography or three-year-olds about, you know, this sort of stuff. But it's not scary. It's simply teaching them, you know, no one's allowed to touch your private parts or and and consent. You know, I'd really like to talk to your listeners about really embedding a consent culture into, into their centres. So important. Well, shall we touch base on that now? So how can educators, um, I guess, what language can educators use in their services to you know, start that conversation with children and how early should they start? Well, two or three. I, you know, basically from when they can talk, even, even children that can't talk, if you were holding, you know, a nine-month-old baby and I wanted a cuddle, I would go, you know, clap my hands together and hold up my and say, can I have a cuddle? And if the child put out their arms, I'd take them. But if they cuddled into you, I wouldn't take them because we can even model with small children about consent. Mm. You know, next year, everybody's going to go consent mad. Um, you know, it's, gonna, it's in the national curriculum. And, but, you know, I've been talking about consent for 35 years, but now it's a thing. But it's really important that we explicitly teach it, but also model it. And I know some centres, when I go in to train them, some of the educators are a bit, oh, but, you know, Holly, if if I've got a three-year-old or two-year-old and I've got to change their bottom, um, I've got 12 kids. I haven't got time if they're faffing around saying, no, you can't. 
But if the children have the language of our program and talk about consent, you can either say either this staff member will do it or this staff member will do it. So you're giving them Mm. consent. So it's giving them different options or different choices. Yeah. Or So one of the things we teach children is safety in a continuum. So you've got safe, fun to feel scared, risking on purpose, and then unsafe. And as part of that, we teach to feel safe, you need to have either a choice, there needs to be some kind of control, or there needs to be a time limit on it. So with the time limit with changing, we can simply say, well, by the time I've done all of the other children to keep you safe, I'm going to have to change your bottom. Mm. So it's about having this common language that that can be taught and modelled so that, you know, in, when, when I say consent, people go automatically to sex. You know, it's about body autonomy. It's got nothing to do with sex. It's simply teaching children that they're the boss of their body and nobody should be touching their body without their consent. Yeah, well, it's funny you say that because we're actually getting a lot of um, girls in our service around four to five starting to experiment with touching, you know, the the boob area, um, you know, on teachers and things like that. So what would you do in services or what's your advice around um, working with children who start to show a bit of curiosity? And what's natural curiosity and where should we be concerned? Well, again, for your listeners, it's, there's a really good resource that if you just Google the Stoplight uh, program, mm-hmm. it teaches about what is normal sexual behaviour. So, you know, if we're both four, you show me yours, I'll show you mine, is totally normal. But what the Stoplight system does, it's got from zero to four in green, what are the normal sexual behaviours mm-hmm. for children that age? Then amber is, you need to keep an eye on this because this could turn serious. And then red is what is reportable. So it goes from zero to four, from five to nine. So it's age appropriate and across a continuum. Now, every childcare centre I've gone in to train this year has had a critical incident of children touching other children. But it's so much more than the just you show me yours, I'll show you mine. It is actually... Um, they've all been uh, mantra reports, unfortunately. So, what's an exa- are you able to give an example of one of these so, like from that red zone? I, I assume they're from that red zone. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So it's either putting things up people's bottoms or um, performing oral sex on boys, wow. um, sucking penises. So, you know, it's not going to be. I'm hopefully, going to put a, a alert at the beginning of this to say, you know, trigger warning. But these, this is the reality. And the other thing I'm hearing um, from educators is about children, the sexualized dancing of children because of TikTok. You know, they say, you know, even two and three-year-olds get there and they're all, you know, doing pole dancing basically. And so I simply say that's private dancing. If grown-ups are dancing like that, then that's their business. But it's not safe for children to dance like that. If people see you shaking your private parts around, they get the idea that it's okay to touch you there. So again, it's not, it's not, um, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you're body shaming and kids should be able to express themselves. But it, it's by teaching as part of a public and private lesson, just they're, they're private moves. And, you know, it's daycare is a public place. So we don't dance like that at daycare. It doesn't have to be hard and it doesn't have to be scary with the um, child exhibiting so the whole sentence is children exhibiting harmful sexual behavior which is a mouthful to say Mm -hmm. a simpler way of saying it is child to child sexual abuse is about 45 percent of all child sexual abuse is either children to children or teenagers on children 
And a lot of it is as a result of children seeing pornography. They are, are witnessing it on YouTube and even YouTube for kids isn't 100% safe. But because they don't know how to process it, they're acting it out. And, you know, I, I know several centres that have contacted me, it's actually been handled really badly because educators didn't know if it was normal sexual behaviour and, and things like that. And, and another centre that I um, have spoken to, the, a parent told an educator something that had happened and it took her a whole day to report it to the um, to the manager sort of thing. So, you know, it's really important that everybody in a centre is trained in what is normal sexual behaviour, what is um, how to teach protective education, because I don't know what it's like um, in other states, but here in Western Australia, most centres do mandatory reporting training because that's, as the regulations, you know, stipulate, but we have to teach abuse prevention education and it's it doesn't have to be scary. It's... I've actually written a whole curriculum for childcare centres based on a 10-week lesson plan and every resource that you need comes in this kit sort of thing. And what we've done is, as well as writing the lesson plans for educators, we've actually written a parent newsletter to go home at the beginning of the each follow, you know the following week sort of thing saying, dear families, next week we're going to be talking about early warning signs. So please talk to your kids about this. Here's a little song or here's a little activity to do. Please show this newsletter to everybody your child knows because that alone could be a protective factor. And it's interesting you say that, Holly. Like how do you get, because I know that your philosophy is to use the real language with children um, not to, I know originally we had a conversation um, a little while ago when we first met um, about what language to use with children. But what I find, and we'll have a chat about your um, philosophy around that, but how do you get parents on board with encouraging this prevention education and using that language? Parents, it needs to be the centre, the families and the children are working together. So that's why we wrote the newsletters so that parents would be informed. We also have a, an online parent course, which I'll talk about in a little while, but it's about, you know, some parents in the beginning might think, because it's really important that children use the correct anatomical names for their body parts. We know that because the studies have been done with perpetrators in prison and they say, if I'm calling my private part of Mary and you're calling your private part of vagina and a vulva, they would leave you alone because somebody's done some sort of, you know, education with you. Me, on the other hand, it's going to be harder for me to tell and get understood. And in the beginning, a lot of centres say, oh, you know, the parents won't be happy with us using, you know, the correct words. And a lot of people say that you're taking away children's innocence, but knowledge is power. And, you know, we don't call an elbow a flim-flam flibbity-jim. And yet we have silly names for, you know, private body parts. And is it true that the um, <clears throat> when a claim is made um, or when the, when the police actually take the allegation, is it true that they don't take it seriously from the child unless they're using the right and what is it? Anatomical. <laughs> Anatomical, thank you, terms. Yeah. So in a disclosure, they, they need to say, you know, use... And I simply say it's what a doctor would call it or what the dictionary calls it. We need to get away from it being your rude parts because with rude comes shame. And so with the, with children, if they can, 
you know, use the words. It's it's not rude. It's not dirty because that could be a protective factor. You know, one of the best books ever written is a book called Everyone's Got a Bottom. I don't know if you've seen it. It's fantastic. And in fact, I got to meet on a Zoom yesterday the author of that book and I was just raving all over there. Amazing. Um, huge girl fan here. I've written five books and, and yet hers um, for early years is the best. It's called Everyone's Got a Bottom and it's got a delightful little baby running around naked. But And what I love about it is just about on every page it's got this saying, from my head to my toes, I say what goes. But it uses the proper words. The amount of teachers in schools that buy that book from me because we sell it, and they'll look at it and then I'll either get a phone call or an email say, Holly, I couldn't possibly read that with my grade ones. And I say, well, if you can't read it, how can we expect a six? If you can't say those words, how can we expect a six-year-old to say those words? You can't return it, read the jolly book. Wow. It's such a, a, a great book. And you know, I know a lot of people aren't comfortable saying the words and, and I've been training a lot of childcare centres recently and I've basically been saying to them, before you get a cup of tea at lunchtime, you have to say penis, 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 vagina, vagina, <laughs> vagina. Yeah. To get over that because, but again. Why do, it, why do people have that phobia or that that feeling of being uncomfortable to say that words? I know for me, for example, I grew up in a household that was very open about sex and sexuality. So for me in my household, oh, gosh, it's normal. Um, but, yeah, like I know, so I'd like to understand and from your experience with talking to different people, why is there that um, feeling of being uncomfortable with those terms and using them? I think it all goes back to our childhood. You know, you were brought up in a very open household, but a lot of it, and, you know, a lot of educators in my experience, you know, it's a very multinational um, field. So, you know, you'll have people from different nationalities and they'll have their different cultural backgrounds and things like that. But that's why we need them to understand that the importance of it by knowing the words, it could be a protective factor. Um, I, I I did a, a te- I spoke at a teacher assistant conference just recently, and they um, an educator came up and at the end of the, my talk and was saying how they had a child at their center who was telling people that her uncle was playing with her Polly Pocket, which is, of course is oh, a little doll. Yes, that's right. And everybody's going, oh how lovely, oh what a great uncle. You know, it's nice when your uncle plays with your Polly Pocket. Had she said, you know, vulva or vagina, different story. Yes. And she said, you know, we've all just beat ourselves up so much around that because when it came to light, we've all felt so bad that here was this child trying to tell us stuff. Mm. And so even little kids, um, that's just reminded me of another story, even little kids, they, they do try and tell us stuff and sometimes we don't listen to children. A friend of mine used to go into childcare centres. She worked for our Department for Child Protection over here in WA and she'll go into centres to support them around mantra reporting, training and things like that. She was in her 60s and she's gone into this centre and a three-year-old little girl's rushed up to her, wrapped her arms around her leg and looked up at my friend and said, have you got a granddad? I've got a granddad, but I'm not allowed to see my granddad anymore. And she's gone, oh, really, dear? Come with me and take her into a private room. And this young girl disclosed how her grandfather was abusing her. The parents hadn't reported it. Um, They'd kept her away from him, but they hadn't reported it. 
This little girl had told all of the educators, every parent that came to pick up their kid, she tried to tell everybody and everybody missed. So this is why the language around this is so important. Yeah. And little kids can be heroes. I mean, how many times have you seen on a current affair or today, tonight, where mum's got into a diabetic coma and the three-year-old knew to ring triple zero? Oh, I cry every time I hear those phone calls. <laughs> Tears. like it, It's amazing. I love it. I love hearing those calls. So what would you recommend um, if a child did come to an educator to um, disclose or said something of concern, what steps do you recommend that the educator use or what language around? Because I know Uh. for us, we've been told don't ask leading questions and there's so much pressure, I think, around what actually that we can say to children or what we should say to children in those situations. I'm so glad you asked that. I've actually... And it's free on my website if people are are interested. I've got a poster that gives people a script of what to say to a child if they disclose. Because in every mantra reporting training I've ever seen, you know, they say don't ask leading questions and all the don'ts, but they don't say and say this. And I believe that we I believe that we need to have a script. So I teach educators, um, and I, you know, in the centres that I go in, they actually put it up in the staff room. It's an A3 size post and they just put it up, laminate and put it up in the staff room. But it's if a child comes to you and says something happened, we need to stay calm. And that's all very well and good. But even if you go, <gasps> you'll stop the child from telling you. Yes, or to your co-worker next to you, your other educator, oh, they just said this, what do I do? Because generally yeah. I find that's the... Um, experience that people have they're so shocked that this is actually happening that the child feels comfortable and because this is a big thing for the child to feel comfortable to be able to reveal or disclose and then as soon as it's met with that shock or awe and then they're going to another educator what do I do so I think it's so important for all centers to be able to and educators to know what to do in those situations. Definitely. So what I teach educators and teachers to say is, I'm glad you told me. I believe you. It's not your fault. And I'm going to do something about it. And then you follow your mantra reporting. Not being believed is the hardest thing. Now, 90% of sexual abuse is somebody that is known to the children. And so I'm happy to actually, in the show notes, um, I'll send you the URL. So if people want to download that poster, because um, it it goes through, you know, stay calm. It's got all the steps, but it also, it really highlights the the sentences, the four sentences that we need people to say to children. And I'm happy for that to go far and wide. Thank you. Yeah, that's perfect. Because, you know, one of the things we teach kids is about their early warning signs and the body signals that you get when you feel unsafe. When you get your early warning signs, you get this rush of cortisol to your brain ready to run away. So I actually encourage centres, and again, I'm <laughs> quite cruel to educators when I'm doing my training and say, I want you to go up to your colleagues just throughout the day when the kids aren't around and just go, the boy next door touched my vagina and practice it because you need to know those four sentences by rote Mm. because just by knowing those sentences will help you stay calm. Mm. It'll give you time to process what you've heard and 
to, to be able to do it. Now, some children don't just come out and say what's happened. They might faff around a bit and, oh, well, you know, and, you know, be all shy and things. So the only question we, we should never ask leading questions. So the who, what, when, where. If an educator has an inkling that something's gone on, but they can't form a belief. Legislation here in WA says you have to form a belief that abuse happened. But if you're still on the fence, the only question I recommend people say is, so tell me more about that, because that is an open-ended question. But the second you've got enough to go, right, that kid's been abused, don't let the children keep going because every if I'm a child and I've suffered sexual abuse and I tell you, that's my job done. You've got to stop that now. Yes. It's your problem. Yes, and we have if, to advocate. That is our job to advocate yeah. for the children. If there is abuse or, um, you know, harm happening at home, it's our job as educators to step in and advocate for those children because they may not have anyone else advocating for them. No, you're exactly right. So if you... You know, if you can be empowered by having this and know, you know, the steps, a lot of people don't want to teach our program because they think if we teach protective education, we're going to get a disclosure rather than going, if we teach it early enough, we can prevent some of it. I'm not going to lie to you. My program's not a magic wand. Mm. I can't stop bad things happening to all children, but I can give them the language to tell us sooner. Oh, absolutely. And it's like everything else that we do. We practice our fire drills. We practice our emergency like lockdowns. We practice, um, you know, medical emergencies. Why should this not be seen as an emergency procedure that's happening in a service? And it's, you know, we recommend adding it. Why not add it? So part of what we do, we recommend that people practice scenarios. So every month at their team meeting, um, add a different child protection scenario with your team. But you never know when it's going to come up. And the more that you practice the more familiar people will become um, so that if it ever does happen because again we want to be preventative we want to be proactive um, in this process and you want your team to be prepared and especially with the children uh, touching other children that is on the increase I was so shocked to hear this Holly I, I like playful yes but yeah I'm so shocked to hear this and so I've written five children's books and one of the books is about children harming other children. But it's just, it's just a simple social story that talks about something private happens in the toilets. I don't say what the private thing in the toilets was because it could be as simple as somebody looking over the door under the wall. But the teacher sits the kids down and teaches the kids that there are five private rules. No one's allowed to touch your private parts. Unless it's for medical reasons, if somebody did, it wouldn't be your fault. You're not allowed to touch anybody else's private parts. If you do, you're breaking the law. No one's allowed to show you private pictures. No one's allowed to take private pictures of you. And you're not allowed to take private pictures of yourself. Because according to the federal police, children as young as four are using their iPads to take naked pictures of themselves. And they're usually learning about it from their older siblings. Wow. That's a, oh, I can't, wow. Wow. And I know we were talking just before the episode started that a lot more children are having exposure, not only with their older siblings, but through like social media or device usage as well. So I know you touch based around TikTok, but I mean, YouTube, kids are on YouTube all the time. And even YouTube for kids, a lot of parents say to me, oh, Holly, I don't need to worry about it because 
you know, my kids only go on YouTube for kids, but I have personally seen a video on YouTube for kids where Mickey Mouse is dancing across the screen and then Peppa Pig's dancing across the screen and then there's a mouse blowing its brains out. I also had, um, so Dr. Christy Goodwin, who's probably one of our most renowned experts around cyber. um, What I love about Christy is she's a a scientist. So she talks about why, you know, four-year-olds have a techno tantrum when you take the iPad away from them. And it's the, you know, it's the dopamine and stuff like that. But she was telling me how she's seen a Peppa Pig video where somebody has cut it and inserted a real-life beheading from ISIS. Oh, my goodness. I was mentioning that, those two things at a parent workshop and I had a mum say, Holly, I was sitting next to my three-year-old when he was on his iPad watching Peppa Pig and I had to go and do something. So I stood up. I was watching, but I stood up because I had to go and do this thing. And as I've gone to turn, I've heard the pig go, mm, I feel really hungry. I feel like some bacon and gets a knife and starts slicing off her skin and starts eating her own skin. Oh, or- my goodness. So it's really important that parents understand that, you know, technology is not a babysitter. It's, you know, no parent would let their kid go down to the local park for two hours unsupervised and yet they'll let them be on, you know, social media. And there's so much pornography on on ordinary YouTube. It's not funny. And that's why, you know, I say it's not if a case, not if kids see porn, it is when kids see pornography but I don't call it with pornography with children under the age of 12. I call them private pictures and private movies. So it's all done part of the public and private lesson. Okay. That's a good idea. Yeah, perfect. So public and private. That distinguishes, yeah. But when I'm brainstorming with five-year-olds, now these are five-year-olds, I'll say to them, where might kids see pictures or movies with people with no clothes on? Five-year-olds can tell me YouTube first, TikTok second, and then it's Facebook Um, And they just, they know them all. I was in a a school and a little five-year-old girl put up a hand and said, Snapchat, miss. I said, sweetie, you're five. How do you know about Snapchat? Well, my 14-year-old sister's using it, obviously for sending nudes, because how did a five-year-old know that? Wow. I was in a remote community and a, um, a little boy put up his hand and said, easy, Holly, you just type in XXX. Bub, you're five. You're right, but you're five. Wow. Kids are so intelligent. They just pick up so many things they so do. quickly like sponges. It only and takes one time. Yeah. And yeah. we forget they're always watching and always listening. I was in a very affluent area and a little girl put up her hand and said, it's easy, miss. You just ask Siri. You just ask Siri or Alexa, wow, and what happens? It just comes up on the screen. Apparently, according wow. to this five-year-old. And what language are they using? Like with, when, with, what are you finding with children as young as four and five when they describe to you? What would they, what would they ask Alexa? Like what language are they using? It might be, you know, show me a picture of bottom or something okay. like that. Okay. So it could be, you know, quite innocent. Mm. Um, I spoke at a teacher assistant conference on the weekend and one of the teacher assistants was saying, you know, she typed in Blackline Masters in, on the school's computer and porn came up. Wow. So, you know, it, it, you can put in the most innocent searches, fairies, koalas, IGA, which is a shop, but if you put IGA into Google Images, naked pictures will come up on school computers because 
um, they have filtering systems. So if kids typed in bum or sex, it would be blocked, but nobody's blocking IGA. So many of your listeners as well as working in the industry will also be parents themselves. So it's really important that they, you know, have these conversations with their child, older children, but, you know, to be also be aware and, and listen to what the children are talking about out in the playground. Um, you know, I'm seeing children in the playground as young as um, four and five um, choking, um, I've walked into a class and seen a little boy behind a little girl simulating sex on her from behind. Um, you know, and if you ever think, oh, where did that come from? You know, please report it and keep anecdotal notes of the behaviours or the, you know, things that the kids are talking about. You know, um, a few months ago it was squid games. Mm. Kids were pl playing squid games and now it's that that horrible little, oh, what's it called, Wug, um, huggy wuggy oh, thing. Oh, yes. And That's I was so shocked, Holly. Like we um, we had a little girl, she's only two years old. Um, I would never think that like this family are not um, a device family. They wouldn't be on devices all that much. Um, and she has an older sister as well, but they both wouldn't be on devices all that much. The older sister didn't know. But the two-year-old was saying about Huggy Wuggy, yeah, I've seen him. I didn't even know anything about it. Um, it was lucky one of our other educators um, had read about it and knew about it. So we shared that with our families. But I was so shocked that a two-year-old knew what that was and I didn't even know what it was. And that's a good point, actually. Um, if your listeners are interested, um, I have a Safe for Kids educators community with about 3,000 people. Um, educators and teachers in, and people that work with children are in it. But I'm always sharing the latest research, you know, the scary apps and, and stuff like that because you can't be over it all, you know. There are so many apps coming out all the time and games and things like that. But I try and share as much as I can of this stuff just to keep people abreast of it so that if you hear kids talking about this huggy-wuggy thing and then there's something, you know, a kid rocked up at um, a after school program wearing that on a t-shirt and oh. triggered two of the other children <gasps> so yeah yeah well, so, and that parent probably had no idea no no it was just and you know you walk into red dot or something like that and here they are the baskets of these little ugly dolls sort of thing mm. um and you know that that can trigger kids if they've seen the the scary thing yeah so well, it's a lot not. of what we've been talking about lately, um, and we've got a podcast coming up around trauma, um, you know, and it's just, it's the tiniest little things that can cause that trauma. And children can actually um, carry trauma from three generations before them. So even if nothing's happened to them, they may still be carrying trauma that's um, genetics. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Which is interesting. <laughs> um holly how do you get around um because i can't I, i'm a, i'm a big devil's advocate i'm like devil's advocate well i'm playing devil's advocate and i like to think of but how do you get around the fact like doing prevention education with children so young as three years old how do you get around the question like the more you talk about it aren't they aren't the children going to be more curious we're not making it sound attractive so with six-year-olds, when I talk about private pictures and private movies, 
six-year-olds love brain science. So I get the class to sit with their fingertips together, all touching. And I say, our brains are amazing. And in our brains, it's made up of millions and millions of connections. But if you see pictures or movies of people no clothes on, it changes the connection. So then I turn one hand um, to opposite so that the kids get this visual, you know, it changes the connection sort of thing. It's a bit hard to do it as an audio. <laughs> if you can see Holly yet yeah, with her fingers turned around, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but I say it also releases a chemical in your brain called dopamine. And our brains love dopamine. So if I'm running around, my brain will create a little bit of dopamine to say keep running around if i eat chocolate a little bit of dopamine say hey holly have another chocolate but if i see pictures or movies of people no clothes on it's like a flood of this dopamine our brain loves it but it's not it's not healthy for our brain you know how we have to put healthy food into our body to grow up big and strong we need to put healthy pictures into our mind to grow up big and strong so it's we're not making it sound attractive and i i say it's like poison for your brain and you want your brain to be healthy so if you see pictures or movies like that, I, if, if you're on your iPad, I need you to flip it over and I need you to go and show a grown-up. Mm. So, And how do exact- you talk about like the definition of private to a four-year-old or a three-year-old? So we teach them. So it's done as a whole concept. So we talk about, and again, I use sign language with children. So the sign for public is your two hands, palms down, touching each other, and then you move them apart in sort of an arc. I've actually got a YouTube channel um, with this on, so I can actually give you the URL for this too. Um, And then the sign for private is your hand in front of your mouth flat, and then you pretend you've got a key and you're locking your lips. So it's a flat hand, turn the key. So we talk about public and private as a whole concept. So we talk about bedrooms, bathrooms, and toilets are private rooms, and we talk about the private things you do in them. I also teach them that when mummy goes to the toilet and she shuts the door, leave her alone. Give a two minutes piece. Yeah. She's doing something private. <laughs> she parents doesn't... would love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and that's and then probably we... really important early on to have those conversations. I know a lot of parents struggle with getting that moment of privacy or moment to themselves, but that could be a really great opportunity to introduce that language to, the ch- to their children um, and, and have those conversations. Mm. You know, bath time. So so then we cover, we talk about public and private things that we do with our body. So burping and farting and nose picking and spitting and swearing, they're all private things. And then we, that's with older kids, That's so with six-year-olds, that's where I would talk about private pictures and private movies as well. Then we talk about clothing and then we talk about private body parts. So the parts of your body that are covered by your bathers plus your mouth are private. And so then we just brainstorm. Um, and I always start with boys because they have less. And so boys have four private parts. So you get Willie and Cock and Doodle and Tallywhacker. And just recently I was in a school and I had a, a young, he would have been about nine-year-old go, my grandmother calls it a cuckoo bird. And then I just had a picture of the cuckoo bird going in the cuckoo house. Don't do that. Your kid's going to get beaten up. Yes. <laughs> So I say, yep, they're either home names or street names. They're not your rude parts. We've got to get away from rude. That might be what you call it at home. But at daycare, we're going to call it a mouth, a penis, testicles and your bottom. And then we go through girls. Now, over the years, I've heard girls front private parts called a lily, a flower, a mini, a mickey, a nelly, a tweety, a frou-frou, a frangipani, a froggy. Oh, I remember when we spoke last um, coming, it was a lot of children coming from um, overseas and different cultures. You were talking about cookie. 
Yeah, yeah. Apparently, um, I hear that it's a South, expats from South Africa. That's what, you know, they would prefer it. But, you know, like back to the Polly Pocket story, um, you know, we need to get away from it being rude and, and things like that. It's just mouth, breast, bottom. Now, depending how old the children are, because unfortunately the two words have Vs in it, and I hate teaching this to grade ones because they're always missing their front teeth. And <laughs> when they try and say vulva, I usually get covered in spit. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. I can see that, yeah. But, you know, with two-year-olds, you might teach the whole front area is a vagina, and then once they're old and they've grasped that, then I teach kids that if you stand in front of a mirror with no clothes on, the triangle bit you see at the front is actually called a vulva and the inside of you is called a vagina and again kids are little sponges we have the hang-ups about it they could not care less Mm. we just say this is you know this is a scientific name or what a doctor would call it or what the dictionary calls it and and if we start when they're little and grow them up knowing this I was actually um, did some work at a, a school last year and I had 170 year nine girls and I, I did this little skit where I pretended I was a hot 14-year-old girl. I was never a hot 14-year-old girl, but now in my 50s I get to be a hot 14-year-old girl. And I say, you know, my boyfriend talks me into taking a, a naked picture. And if I take the picture, I've committed a crime. I send it to my boyfriend. Now I've committed two crimes. But he, we break up and he sends it to all of you. And I said, now all of you have a picture of my vulva on your phone. Not one year nine girl knew what a vulva was. That is not okay. Yeah, wow. And I've been watching actually a lot of documentaries um, around the body and things, and it's only now starting to be referred to as a vulva. Yeah. And they talked a lot about the history. I mean, we don't need to get into that today. Sure. Gwyneth Paltrow, the Goop um, Project, amazing. <laughs> All her episodes on Netflix and things if you're interested. But, um, yeah, like it was just amazing to me. They go into the history of um, that it was always a vulva and how it actually became a vagina and, you know, how it moved into um, all of the different names that are used. And so, you know, it's it's such a simple thing. So... But especially by teaching the sign language, if a child's picking their nose or, you know, everybody's listening to this or know little kids, quite often they've got their hands down, their pants touching it. Mm-hmm. And rather than making a big deal of it, and I started to teach this in this way because I'd go into grade one classes and little boys had their hands down their pants and I'd hear teachers going, take your hand off it, leave it alone, it'll fall off when it's ripe. I can simply either say to the children, remember, this is a public place, or just look at the children and do the sign language and they take their hands out or they stop picking their nose or they stop swearing and I haven't had to, you know, make a big deal of it. So um, I was talking at this conference on the weekend and and one of the educators was saying that they've got a, a child that gets herself on the corner of a chair and just rubs herself, self-stimming. Yeah. And she's like, how do we, you know, how do I talk about this, Holly? I said, well, just say, you know, you're rubbing your private parts, but this is a public place. So when I go, you know, when I do this sign language, it's to remind you that it's not, you know, it's not okay to do it where everybody can see. Mm. And so, again, it doesn't have to be scary. It's about having that common language. Everything keeps coming back to this you know having this common language that everybody knows and it's funny you say that because like you know I've experienced children on their beds doing the same thing 
And um, we didn't have the language to be able to say to that child around the public and the private um, place. So I think, again, like doing this prevention education gives children the language. Um, it allows them for you to have cues and signs and use that that um, visual rather than actually even having to say something and perhaps um, not causing trauma but causing that belief in them that it is a dirty or bad um, yep. action not, or words. There's no judgment. Mm. It's public and private. It's a concept like on and under. Yes. And so, you know, that's why I'm so passionate about using this language because, you know, we're not trying to body shame. We're not trying to, if kids are swearing, I simply say, oh, you guys, this is a public place or a private place. Or, you know, some children, any sort of attention is better than no attention. So some children just swear to get attention. Mm. And it's like when the two-year-old says the F word for the first time and every, somebody giggles and then yeah. they say it all the time. Mm. I can just do the sign language with no other – and they stop doing it oh, without me funny. having to. I remember hearing a story um, that Pink shared, um, like the singer Pink. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, and she shared around her daughter and um, her daughter Willow and she said that her um, she was fine with her daughter swearing as long as she only swore in her room. Because that was her place, that's her area, she can do whatever she wants in her room. Um, but when she's out in public um, or around other people, that it was obviously, that was, uh, yeah, so in her private space, she could do whatever she wanted. But out in public, that obviously it wasn't appropriate. And, you know, you were talking about when kids are lying on the, the beds and, and stuff like that, they might, you know, rub their teddy on it and, and things like that. So we're not you know, we're not trying to body shame, like I said, it's about, and if you want to do that, you need to go to somewhere that's private. It's it's not hard. And give kids rules. They love rules. Rules make children feel safe. And so it's not, you know, there is no stigma around it. And by even just using the sign language, nobody else in the room even needs to know about it. No, that's exactly right. Yeah. So it's just that sign. Um, I, I had in the back of my mind, like, you know how we were talking about disclosure earlier, what happens if a child comes to you? Because I've experienced this, not so much in regards to a disclosure of um, like sexual abuse or something like that, but they'll come and they'll say, I've got a secret. I'm not allowed to tell anyone. Or on the flip side of that, it's like they, they disclose something to you, but they say, please don't tell anyone. Two things on that. The first is, I, I don't know if any of the educators actually do news in the centres, but kids tell very juicy news in my experience. They do, and many stories of <laughs> great imaginations. I had a, a young boy in grade once once tell me this news and he said, good morning, everyone. Last night uh, there was a big thunderstorm and I was really scared and my daddy was at work. So I went up the hall to get into bed with mummy, but Mr So-and-so from next door must have been even scareder he was down the bottom of the bed. <laughs> oh, my gosh. My hand is over my mouth right now. <laughs> oh. So. We haven't had that story shared yet, Holly. <laughs> Thank heaven. Some doozies, though, but not that one. Well, I don't know. Over the 35 years of teaching, I don't know how many times I heard about dad watching porn or domestic violence for news because kids yeah. think that happens in everybody's home. Mommy, so I can simply, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can simply say, oh, that sounds like a private thing. Maybe you can talk to me about that. 
and, you know, one of the other educators, can you finish what we're doing or whatever? So it's a way to protective interrupt because let's face it, we never know what's coming out of children's mouths. Mm -hmm. So once they know the concept and I teach children what happens at home might be private, but we're not teaching to keep it a secret. So we talk about safe and unsafe secrets. So if a child came to me and said, Holly, I've got a, a secret and I've, you've got to promise not to tell, what I would say is I can't promise to keep that secret because if I get my early warning signs, if I feel unsafe for you, I'm going to have to tell somebody on my safety team. So can you see by having this language and, and the program, we've actually shown kids that, you know, we're not teaching them to keep it a secret. And so I'll brainstorm with the children. So if a kid came to me and said, I've got a secret, I'd say, I have to tell somebody on my safety team. And who do you think that would be? So if I'm in a center, they might say, oh, you know, the, the head of the center. And then if they felt unsafe, they felt, un, you know, if they had their early warning sign, they'd have to tell somebody on their safety team. Who do you think that might be? And the kids go, oh, the police? Because we've already shown them, I've already walked them through what a safety team's about and, and who's on your safety team. So, you know, by having these, so we've got resources with a, a poster with um, five circles on it. So when we're doing the safety team, we brainstorm who goes on your safety team. They need to be adults and, and one of them is a policeman. So one of the things I'm going to encourage your cent the people that are listening, your educators to do in their centres is actually to invite the police into their centres, not to put on the sirens and show them the pepper spray, but actually to sit down with children and, you know, read them a book and talk about their families because many parents unfortunately use the police as a threat to get kids to behave. You know, the old put your sleeper on or please will get us. Or if I'm walking down at my local shopping centre and kids are having a tantrum, I'll hear parents, you know, yanking their kids and going, behave yourself or I'll get that copper onto you. Wow. Yeah. And so if your child's suffering sexual abuse, who do you have to talk to? The two most hated people in our community, the police and child protection. You know, in some communities, they'll be called the welfare. And there might be families saying to children, don't you tell anyone the welfare will take you away. No, their job is to keep kids safe. The police's job is to keep oh, kids safe. And that language I find, I don't know if you find the same thing, Holly, but that language is generally used for our most vulnerable children and our most vulnerable families. Um, and that's common language that they will use. You don't yeah. want them to come and take you away. Yeah. And so that's why, you know, most people say kids nowadays, they're so much more advanced than we were. And if this happened to a child, they would tell us. Because of the grooming process, they won't. The Royal Commission was a blessing for Australia because it gave us, not only it gave survivors voices, but it gave us so much data. And the data shows that um, if women were abused as children, it takes between 20 and 22 years before they tell. And for men, if they ever tell, it's between 25 and 27 years. Still, most people don't ever tell. Wow. But by is having that, is that a shame thing or is yes. that right? Yeah. So they feel shameful that it's their fault or generally speaking? It's the whole grooming process. So sometimes perpetrators make children believe that it was their fault, um, especially for boys. And I've, um, I have a podcast and I've just – um, interviewed two male survivors recently and they both confirmed that um, they didn't tell because they were worried that people would think they were gay 
or um, would I will I become a you know pedophile? And both are not true because that's the experience they had. So they may wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so this is and there's loads of reasons why children you know don't tell the threats and and the grooming process and they made and because. So I've started talking to um, young people now about, because we talk about early warning signs and the body signals that we get when we feel unsafe, as part of that lesson now, um, I've got a bit braver and I'm actually talking about our bodies are designed to react in certain ways. When we're cold, we get goosebumps and we shiver because we're cold. Mm. When we're hungry, our tummy rumbles. When we're sad, we cry. Our bodies are designed to do that. When we're touched in certain ways, our bodies are designed to react. So for boys, they get an erection and they think they consented, they liked it, they must have liked it because that's their body reacted that way. Mm. And so we need to say no. It doesn't mean you consented. It doesn't mean that you wanted it or you liked it. That's what, you know, our body does for, for little girls. You know, even babies can all girl baby girls can orgasm. So, you know, oh, I must have liked it because oh, I had that lovely feeling or whatever. And that's where the shame comes from. And so that's why we need to explain, no, it's just the way your body reacts. You can't control it and it didn't mean you consented. Um, I've I've talked to a lady just recently who um, her brother um, unfortunately did abuse her but because she didn't say no she had all this shame around it because she didn't know that she could say no she of just course. you know and so that's why we need to be as open and honest as you and I are being now with children but because it's done in an age appropriate you know I've developed songs and sign language and stories and it it's not scary for children but it's empowering and we have to give them this language. Oh, and I know because I grew up listening to it, it was just a normal part of my life. So having that language and us talking about it, it was just normal. It wasn't even questioned. It wasn't even thought about. It's only as I've gotten older that I've found, Holly, that it's other people weren't like that. They didn't have those conversations with their families or so... Yeah, I think it's quite similar to that is that if we start the conversation and start introducing that language just part of their normal development or growing up, that they have that those resources, those tools, that it's just part of their vocabulary so that if that happens, it's just giving them different words um, to describe um, and, like you said, empower them with that language because um, I know we talked a lot about sad and happy but it's about giving them those different words and language to use to describe things. Definitely. So, you know, we talk about just simple things like um, I teach them safe is the thumb up and unsafe is the thumb down. So even, you know, toddlers that, you know, if they go to climb up on a bench rather than grabbing them and yelling at them or whatever, I just go, hey, bud, that's unsafe. And so centres that have taken this on board, when I go and visit them, I'll see the kids out in the playground. The kid will be going around the bike track too fast. They go, hey, slow down, that's unsafe. And they're using it in their play. You know, it's simple things like setting up the home corner and we, we talked about, you know, kids ringing triple zero, setting up the home corner and, and role-playing that. Three-year-olds need to know then you know where they live and especially what state they're in, because like there's a Perth down in Tasmania mm. and things like that. But you know, don't underestimate children because I'll tell you what, they they blow your mind. I, I have 
parents after I work and educators once I work with the children so a couple of centers I've been in recently where there was a critical incident I'd gone in and and did the public and private lesson and 14 parents sat in to make sure what I was doing with their kids sort of thing and the parents are going they understood every word you said of course they did they're not stupid yes (laughs) but it's because it's clear it's age appropriate a lot of people you know, use metaphors and, and faff around and try and tizzy things up. Why? Kids, to be honest, kids are the best bullshit detectors out there. <laughs> they know if you're, you know, not being honest with them. But when, you know, I've had parents go, oh, you know, even with um, 18 month olds, I was sitting down with a group of mums and they had their children um, on their laps and I had a safe and unsafe um, green card and red card. And then I had all these pictures and these little 18-month-olds were going and sorting them into the right piles. And the parents are going, oh, my gosh, how do they? (laughs) I never thought my kid would understand that. Of course they understand it. They're not silly. Yes. And I love that you get the parents involved in that process so that they can see and I can I can sort of sense that perhaps um, a couple of parents may be apprehensive about the process so they just wanted to be involved to see what it was all about. Um, and I love that. I love that. Well, and, you know, we, so we've written a curriculum for childcare centres that comes in a box with all the resources and everything. Yeah. And as part of, so it's a 10-week lesson plan and what I've done is for each, so there's 10 concepts, but for each concept, there are five separate lessons. And so if kids only come to daycare one or two days a week, they're going to get something on the um, program. Mm-hmm. But I've also written a, um, a newsletter to go home at the beginning of every week saying, dear families, this week we're going to be learning about early warning signs. So here's a little song to sing. Here's an activity to do. Please show this newsletter to everybody your child knows so that they're either on board with it or it could be a protective factor. And then there are activities that some they have to take home and, and do with their families to get them involved as well. And wherever possible, I always encourage centres to host a parent night. But um, I, I was telling you before we started this, I'm, I'm really excited at the moment because it's just happened tonight. I'm actually going to be doing a, a training for a centre, well, an owner of a centre who's got 15 sites um there's two here in western australia one's bought eight of our kits and the other one's bought 15 of our kits Amazing. and you know that's such a huge investment you know but they say holly to be honest i don't care what it costs me because our priority you know we want to follow the standards and and our priority is keeping our kids safe so as well as getting the kit they also um they get two two a year where all of their staff can come to and they put on a, um, so I did one about three weeks ago where they hired a hall and um, I did a a two hour presentation and then they had some other stuff and then they went and played golf and things. Um, So we'll do two of those a year. Plus a lot of centres have, can have a, you know, high turnover of staff. So we actually have an online educator training on our program where as part of the induction for the educators, they can sit down for an hour and a half and go through the videos so that they're on board straight away in the language that's used in the centre. And then we also have a parent online course. So families are given the URL to the course and a free code. And so they can just, so mum and dad can either sit down and watch the course together or 
they've got it for a whole year. So, you know, and they're just little videos. So they're around three minutes, some of them. The longest is about 11 minutes, but that's a public and private lesson. So they can actually, they've got access to that, but also the centre says, oh, you know, next week we're talking about public and private. They can go to the public and private lesson and go back over that because we really need to be working with parents to in, involve them and make sure, you know, that's under the EYLF, that's the, you know, um, working with families and stuff is so important. Yep, collaborative with your community. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so we've tried to make it as easy for um owners of centres it's like you get this box you get all this training and you know what can be more important than keeping the children in your care safe now in every state children at primary school are supposed to learn protective education or protective behaviours but we need to start way earlier than you know than six-year-olds but also some schools will do you know the bare minimum and if we can give them the foundation early, by the time they go to school, they've already got that. And then you can go and, you know, ramp it up to be talking about pornography and, and the other things that we need to, the grooming and, and all the other aspects of, of child safety. Yeah, as they get a little bit older. So did you say that the parent training is um, included in the kit when the service buys the kit or is that an additional... <laughs> Well, it's because, you know, if you just buy one kid, yep. but it was because, you know, we were just wanted to value add because they, you know, one bought eight and one bought 15 of yeah, them yeah. Um, as a thank you. So um, we're piloting it now and so they've got it free for this year and then next year if they've seen it successful, then they'll, you know, they can opt in and say, look, Holly, you know, we've already got the kit, but can we, um, and we'll just have a sliding scale of like um, the one with 15 centres has got 200 staff. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, this way it can they can tick it off as part of the regulations, but that's not why they're doing it. They're doing it because they want to keep their kids safe. Oh, absolutely. And so, but it, is it an additional thing that services can purchase yep. from you? Yeah, perfect, yep. perfect. Um, awesome. And we'll share all of those details in our show notes. Um, and um, yeah, did you want to give a bit of a shout out um, and let people know where to find you? Where can they find you if they want to get in touch? Um, we really, really appreciate you sharing all of these amazing resources um, with our community. And um, yeah, so let us know where can everyone find you, Holly? Well, definitely my Facebook page is where I spend most of my time sharing as much information as I can but then I also it's just, just safe for kids um on Facebook Instagram so that's TikTok, safe, the number four, four kids. Yeah, yep. yeah but also um if any of the educators would like to join the community it's so original it's called the safe for kids educators community and like I said I'll send you the URL for that to put in the show notes and I've got um in there already under the guide section um a lot of free training um, when we went into COVID, when we had COVID originally in 2010, I went live every um, week for 10 weeks and did all this free training. And there's um, links to YouTube clips and stuff that I talk about and things. Um, and also, it, I've done it so that people can, you know, try something and or if they've got a question, 
you know, just pop it in the message in there and I can go live in the group and say, oh, you know, great question. We had somebody said, you know, we've got parents that are reluctant about us using everyone's got a bottom. Holly, can you give us some more ideas? Because I want to create a community where we're all working together to keep kids safe, but also, you know, an educator might go to Kmart and they've got a fantastic feelings book out or or something like that. Take a photo, share it in the group because I'm only one person and my mission is to empower educators to be able to, to keep kids safe. I can't do it all by myself and, you know, I'm really free with my information. But other, you know, an educator might go, oh, you know, I, I've had this, like we, a, a beautiful centre um, that was one of the first that bought our kit was doing studying mini beasts with their little people and at this centre they actually have a tarantula. Oh, no, thank you. I know, right? (laughs) No, thanks. So basically, you know, they took pictures of the children from behind, of course, and they shared their ideas of, you know, we're studying mini beasts. So the kids looked at how a turtle went into their shell and that, that, um, you know, the snails went into their shell and, you know, what the tarantula did when it was scared and things. So, you know, I want everybody to share their ideas because this is just my 35 years worth of, you know, experience. But I there's a wealth of it you know educators have got some really good ideas so if everybody's sharing the information we stand a better chance of keeping kids safe oh absolutely and thank you so much for advocating for our children and keeping them safe and taking on this mission and i can see behind you um a little figurine of wonder woman um so i love that and um you'll forever be referred in my mind there you go and your mug um as a wonder woman and yeah, so thank you so much for advocating for our sector, for our children, um, to keep them safe. And thank you so much for joining us today. And we look forward to many more conversations. And I love your YouTube channel. Like the videos on there um, are amazing and give awesome um, real-life strategies and tips to use in our services. My favourite one was definitely around the disclosure and the steps to disclosure and um, how to do that. But even your beautiful work in the remote communities um, that you travel to, can't wait to come there with you one day um but yeah thank you so much holly we've really appreciated you coming on today ah thanks for inviting me bye bye